The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here on, uh, well, it's mid-September, and of course that means that the tropics are affecting football again. Um, This is your meteorology edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Um, Gentlemen, I would like to inform you that I have not yet received my American Meteorological Society seal yet, and so everything that I tell you is something that someone else has reported, unfortunately, but... uh, uh, neither of you, Jim Cantori has not made a, any guest appearances in your backyards, has he? No, but I dream about it at night. <laughs> That's why I let Murph go. I knew Murph was ready. Murph is probably the biggest. No one's more disappointed uh, than Murph. Probably not necessarily that the game is canceled, but the fact that uh, he's not, you know, still, you know, that nobody's traveling to this event. Yeah, <laughs> I think. I think. It's, I, I think. Sure it's you're, you're still going, aren't you? Right. I, I think it's a, something I want to clear up, guys. I know the game's been canceled. I, I'm still going to North Carolina. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're, still going to, you're still going to Chapel Hill. The entire town's on lockdown, but you're still... <laughs> right. No, there's there's a street somewhere. I'm going to hang on to a lamppost. Everything's going to be cool. Bungee cord yourself to a stop sign somewhere in the middle of downtown Chapel Hill and let the Good chips fall. Good thing is I have, a, I have a low center of gravity. So it's really hard for wind to take me places. <laughs> so we'll talk about UCF in North Carolina getting canceled, as you probably would imagine by now. Uh, we also have a, a guest on the show, Jenny Frank, a uh, longtime UCF volleyball great, uh, stops by the show to talk about UCF volleyball then and UCF volleyball now. And Eric and I get into a debate about what the UNC cancellation means uh, for, uh, for UCF football's season. And Murph gets to referee that. So we will put the black and white stripes on Brian <laughs> and see how that works out. Um, plus some updates on uh, on the other sports as well. As always, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for UCF athletics. Uh, you can follow us at uh, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret and UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy, Eric at Eric Lopez Elo, and subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on iTunes, excuse me, Apple Podcasts, not iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. All right, so let's get you to the news, which, uh, well, came down yesterday. Uh, no, was it yesterday? Yes, yeah, it, was it was yesterday. yesterday. Okay. My depends when you're listening to My this episode. Well, it depends. Okay. On, yeah. Tuesday. How about we just say it was okay. Tuesday? Yes, thank you. Okay, Tuesday. Basically, 96 hours from kickoff, UCF and North Carolina announced that due to the impending uh, incursion of Hurricane Florence in the Carolinas, UCF will not play North Carolina on Saturday at noon, as was originally scheduled. I, I, by the way, I found the wording interesting from both squads uh ucf said that it was canceled however um it was north carolina simply said the game will not be played um none of us are privy to the contract between the two schools that would that would would force majeure clauses and all that so um no word as to whether or not there was a little bit of hint there was a little bit of speculation about maybe moving it to 
a neutral site. There was a little bit of speculation out there about maybe moving the game's date, but uh, UCF pretty much put the kibosh on that one. Um, and uh, there will be no UCF football this weekend, so um, which is a bummer. But uh, obviously, we're you know we're thinking about our good friends up in up in the Carolinas and anyone out there who's listening, um, UCF fans and fans of everybody up there, um, batting down the hatches. And you know, obviously, we wish them well. We wish them um, that hope, wishing, hoping for the best and preparing for the worst. Um, especially our friends, um, by the way, in Greenville, in uh, at, at uh, East Carolina University, um, who. Uh, they're going to get. They're right on the. The river is right there, the Tar River, and there's going to be quite a bit of storm surge that just rolls up that river, and uh, obviously flooding is going to be a concern. In addition to the winds, um, there's a little bit more geography in North Carolina than there is in Florida, so you know that's something that they have to that they have to deal with. But um, so you know, obviously all of that you know is front of mind. No one's debating about that, but. Um, Brian, the situation with UCF and North Carolina is just, it's such an unfortunate one because now this is the second consecutive year that UCF has a game with an ACC school wiped out because of a hurricane. So take us through the last, I guess, 72 hours. And, you know, when it started to become obvious that, you know, man, this game is not going to be played. Yeah, and actually, before I get into that, it's even the three third the third consecutive year in which UCF has had a game postponed due to a hurricane. Back in 2016, UCF's game against Tulane was postponed by about a month due to Hurricane right. Matthews. This is the third season in a row in which a hurricane has impacted UCF's football schedule. Um, UCF entered this week saying all the thing saying all the right things as if they were going to play, even though we kind of knew by Monday that that there's no way this is going to happen. But uh, Josh Heupel was was uh, you know I don't know if, if, if evasive is the right word, but uh, he he wouldn't comment on uh, any sort of uh, cancellations or any thought of postponement. You know he talked Monday about the team is trying to go one and zero this week, and we're practicing out there for for a game this Saturday. And I talked to uh, to Wyatt Miller and Mackenzie Milton on um, on Tuesday. Both of them said. You know, we're going to go one and zero this Saturday. I said, "Well, what if you're not going to go one and zero because there's no game?" He goes, "Well, then we'll we'll deal with that." But right now, we're going one and zero. So they were locked in mentally. White Miller said there was no drop in focus, even with the you know the pretty obvious uh, what was going on in North Carolina. The the players are still practicing as hard as usual. But um, yesterday, I would say what around I'd say one p.m. Tuesday, word came in that yeah, this game is not going to happen. Uh, me and you, Jeffrey, uh, sort of parsed through everything, looking for maybe a, a, a sousant of hope that there would be a game this weekend uh, due to the way things were worded. But uh, uh, Danny White speaking tonight uh, with Mark Daniels uh, left no doubt that uh, there will not be uh, a game this weekend. He talked to Mark about how um, they, they, they had offered to host this game in Orlando and they had talked to them talk to UNC about uh, other locations, but that's impossible. Uh, too much, too many people are involved in this. He said there's 1,200 to 1,300 people that need to be involved to make this kind of move happen. And so um, for right now, UCF has uh, got, got an 11th, 11th game schedule. We've got to figure out if, if uh, this team can add a 12th game, which in its own 
uh, merits is going to be very difficult. Yeah, and, and I think it's uh, UCF led uh, did not leave very much wiggle room on that. So, so the bye week is the week of October twenty seventh. I think that's the Saturday. Correct. Now yep. the problem is UCF's next game after that is a Thursday night conference game against Temple. So if they scheduled a game during the bye week, they would they would be giving themselves a very short week leading up to a conference game in order to play a non-conference game, which kind of doesn't make sense really from, from an overall perspective, mm-hmm. if you ask me. And if you look back at UCF's Twitter feed, I thought this was, <laughs> I thought this was interesting. They, um, <laughs> the tweet right after the one announcing the game's cancellation said the following. It is unlikely, this is UCF football's Twitter account, this, it is, quote, it is unlikely the Knights will be able to replace the UNC contest with another game as the Knights don't have a true open date. October 13 at Memphis, October 20 at ECU, November 1 versus Temple, Thursday. So I chimed in on Twitter and I was like, translation, we're not going to play Nebraska, so stop asking. <laughs> because because every because everyone immediately went to October 27th and started looking at who's got a bye week on October 27th. Lo and behold, it turns out who has a bye week on October 27th? The Nebraska Cornhuskers. You know who and else? Who's looking to make, who's looking to add a, who's looking to add a game to their own schedule? Exactly, because Nebraska had their opener against Akron wiped due to weather. In addition, you know who else has a bye, has a bye week on October 27th? Although that's definitely not going to happen. That would be the Alabama Crimson Tide. <laughs> so naturally, everyone's like, let's do this. The fans, all the Twitter ADs are out there saying, this is going to, let's make this happen. And I'm pretty sure Josh Seipel's like, no, I really like having that bye week before a conference game on a Thursday <laughs> night. And quite frankly, I side with Josh Seipel on that one. Um, Elo, you uh, were taking a look at you know some of the things that were said at, uh, at the night talk tonight. Um, what stood out for you from that? Well, that part uh, you mentioned, which I, I definitely want to—I mean, we're going to talk talk about this a few things because I have some. Of, I, I don't like the Temple being a Thursday night game as an thrown as an excuse because a year ago mm-hmm. we saw Miami was scheduled to play Georgia Tech on a Thursday night, and mm-hmm. the ACC actually moved that game to a set two days later, Saturday, because they rescheduled the Miami Florida State game the week earlier. So. If they wanted to, they could have easily talked to Temple. The conference could have stepped in and the networks, and they could have pushed the Temple game two days later to Saturday if you wanted to fit a game in on the 27th against anybody, okay, mm-hmm. just for the record. So I, I don't like that excuse about, well, you got Temple. In re- I, that They just don't want to They don't want to lose their bye week. Just say it. You don't want to lose your bye week, right? right. I think that's really the reality. And, and, I don't use the Temple date as an excuse. And, and last year, I, I forgive me for interjecting, but I just wanted to point out yeah. – Remember that it was last year that when they when they put the um, Austin P game in during what was supposed to be UCF's bye week, was it Austin yeah. P? Yeah, that yes. um, that that resulted in something that we've talked about before. UCF ended up playing games in eleven consecutive weeks, and I know they went undefeated, guys. But that let's face it, that defense was gassed at the end of the year, and I think that from a football perspective, you know. It, it, it makes se- a it makes sense for you know 
to keep the team fresh as they head down the stretch because UCF is going to be competing for a conference title again. And B, this is the other thing from last year too, is that UCF actually lost two games due to the hurricane. Remember? They lost the Memphis game in the second week and the Tech game the third week. They had to make one of those games up because they were both home games. This is a road, and one of them was a conference game. This is one road non-conference game. So in terms of you know tickets and all that, obviously UCF was behind the eight ball last year. That was like a nightmare scenario, losing two home right. dates. This not as big of a not as big of a um, of a strike against them. Obviously, from a financial perspective, might be a little bit different from a football perspective, which we'll debate about later, Elo. But but I think that's the part that gets lost in all this is that UCF actually lost two games last year. They had to make one up. Well, but then most importantly, it's a home day, uh, and as right. we're going to get into this as this brought. It, the sport now has become about business more than what's actually on the field. It doesn't. And, and, no and this is where, way. I know it's a shocker. It's a shocking development. And <laughs> what has happened is when, and I remember this very fondly when they, cause I was against this when the, they allowed to add a 12th regular season game for college mm-hmm. football schedule. Everybody said, wow, this is great. It's going to attract more marquee non-conference. But in reality, it hasn't what it has done. It's given schools opportunities to add a seventh home game and more revenue. And what happens now is you see more and more schools scheduling FCS home games as, quote, the seventh game. They haven't really changed the marquee scheduling. It's just now they're everybody's into, hey, let's play seven home games at least from a revenue standpoint. Everybody's doing it, not just UCF or Alabama. Everybody's doing that. And as a result, nobody wants to give that up in a situation like this, uh, you know, like, for example, some people you brought up the neutral site. Like, if you're North Carolina, you're not giving this up to play a road game unless you're going to get the home game back. Now, we'll go through all those scenarios, but it's the same thing with UCF, like you mentioned. That's very important, especially for UCF, from a standpoint of a business standpoint, because you don't have a, quote, major TV deal yet with your conference like other, like the SEC does or the Big Ten. So, mm-hmm. to your point, UCF's trying to make up for two home dates that are lost. And so you rescheduled that. And I think uh, as a result, I think they kind of did okay. But I think the Austin P, you bring up the Austin P. I think the Austin P game is another reason why they won't schedule another game, in my opinion. And this is why. What happened to that Austin P game? It was a, not a good crowd. Why? Right. Because it was a scheduled game that was added. And people are like, I don't want to see that game. So. UCF's not really in a position. There, there's no interest. There's no reason to add a, an FCS opponent, for example. No one's going to go watch that in October. Um, and I think it's the reason why, by the way, UCF. And this is what you were referring to about what Danny White said, which I I, I thought was interesting. He was on the uh, the night talk show tonight at Burger U, and he said they did uh, offer to host the game, North Carolina declined. He has a good relationship with the AD with North Carolina. that goes back two decades, but he declined. Right. And he understood that because UCF declined Georgia Tech's offer last year to host the game. Um, and he admitted that he was not interested in a swap. And some people suggested, well, why couldn't North Carolina play at UCF this year? And then North Carolina in return, go to UCF in 2020, uh, or excuse me, UCF would go to North Carolina in 2020. That's the, the, the home at home date. And Danny White made it, and I agree with this point. He 
that is not in their best interest because one of the goals that Danny White's trying to do right now is to have a guaranteed, quote, power six home game every year. Uh, you know, last year was supposed to be Georgia Tech. This year it was going to be it's Pittsburgh. Uh, next year it's Stanford. The year after that was it's supposed to it's North Carolina. Well, if you switch that, first of all, you lose that seventh home game that I just brought up yeah. for a road game. So it's not like you can just add a home game. Now you have to reshuffle the schedule to get an extra home game, and it just gets complicated. So it's not as simple as, yeah, we'll just flip. And, and that's where the business side of this, which I think has it motivated a lot of these decisions, the PC thing, it's, it's certainly, listen, I mean, a hurricane is significant, but we have seen schools like Virginia, by the way, who's playing Ohio in Vanderbilt, I think, Nashville. Uh, you can make games up and play neutral fields. Um, but I think there is a business side to this. That was interesting what Danny White said, and I think uh, he feels very confident about the way he's scheduling things. But uh, I, I think it's you know, it's about business, and, and, and to me, what is in the best interest from a business standpoint, and I think from a UCF standpoint, really. And that was interesting. They said even if they would have hosted this game, you could argue it's not a good deal for UCF because. Now you're going to ask people, 40,000 people, to buy tickets in two or three days. Mm -hmm. How realistic is that considering you have ticket commitments to people that were, scheduled, were supposed to be going to Chapel Hill for this game? So what do you do with the people that purchase tickets to that? Uh, so it would create a big headaches and all that. And I think that's why I, I knew from the get-go there was no way this game was going to get played from a business standpoint. I even, I didn't even brought up the motivation standpoint. Like if you're North Carolina – there is no reason for you to play this game. Yeah. You just got blown off the doors by East Carolina. You're 0-2. Everybody's probably right now wants Larry Fedora fired. It's actually easier for Carolina to cancel this game and, if if possible, schedule a game in December against an FCS opponent and get their home game back and maybe get Bo, maybe help you get Bo eligible from that standpoint. It's actually easier to do that if you're North Carolina than, hey, let's play UCF. Where in Atlanta, Orlando, wherever, and take a third loss, and now you're 0 3. So there, there was never, I, in my opinion, there was never a motive, a, a, a reason for North Carolina to play this game. Uh, and that's why I never thought that there was going to be interest in this, in playing this game. You know, is one of the other things that I thought that was funny. Um, I forget who was the writer. You'll have to forgive me. But they. <laughs> They brought up the <laughs> along what you were saying, Ryan. Uh, 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 Eric was um, uh, somebody. Uh, Are you talking yeah. about Stuart Mandel? Stuart Mandel, thank you. Yeah, North Carolina he said, actually. <laughs> right. He said. He said maybe you, maybe UCF and North Carolina playing and UCF North UCF North Carolina not playing helps UCF strength the schedule. <laughs> Which is which is ruthless, but true. It should be noted, by the way, this is not obviously the only college football game, even in Division One, that's being profoundly affected by this. Um, Georgia Southern is scheduled to play at number two Clemson. That was moved up to noon Saturday. Uh, interesting. Number thirteen Virginia Tech uh, was scheduled to play ECU in Blacksburg. Tech is uh, th that game has been postponed, and Tech uh, the Tech AD. Uh, made no bones about the fact that he, uh, that he was unhappy about that. Whit Babcock, the AD, said, quote, We certainly understand the need for safety, of course. We just felt that tomorrow making the decision then would have been more responsible and accurate. We informed ECU of this multiple times. Um, they made the call yesterday. 
uh, ECU did. They right. said, we're not showing up. So, um, Well, here's the thing. But here's again. This is, again, uh, a motive. You're East Carolina. You're Scotty Montgomery. And you are in danger of losing your job, which we have addressed in a previous podcast. Well, guess what? You've got an opportunity to get out of playing Virginia Tech, which was going to be a loss. That's why well, they're not playing that game. Well, even if they way, did play the game, know, they would lose anyway. You know, I mean. But here's the thing: by not playing this game, you that's one less that's one less loss on your schedule. By the way, you know where East Carolina is, and this is where uh, you know people that that are saying that no, this game should have been rescheduled. This is where this the the, the conversation. You know where East Carolina is actually hanging out right now? Uh, mm-hmm. Not in Greenville. I know that they're in Orlando. Yeah, gonna be that's right. Yeah, and I think and this is where people are bothered by like, wait a minute. Why are you in Orlando during the storm, but you can't play a game somewhere else? You can't play in a neutral field if you're going to be together anyway. Uh, and that's where I think this is a divided issue because there are people that believe, yes, you shouldn't play a football game because you want the players to be with the families, right? That was the thing last year, that the players were separated. They want to be with the families. And I think that's a legitimate answer. But there's the other side of the coin. It's like, wait a minute, if you're all going to be together, what do you mean you can't play? Well, uh, I've seen teams play during uh, – not necessarily at a, during a hurricane, but they play games – in advance of a hurricane, for example, I think Wake Forest yeah. uh, is still going to play their game Thursday night. 5.30 p.m. Thursday out. against Boston College. That's, yeah. Right. So there's a lot of different. Remember last year, Florida ended up playing their game in Gainesville anyway. Uh, that Saturday when UCF did not play. Mm-hmm. Florida did. Now there's everybody's different in it, but that, that, there's a lot of differences of opinions. And I think it's. What's the motivation? Is is there is there a reason for you to play this game, or is there a reason for you not to play this game? Yeah. And I think there's some of that going on. They'll never admit it publicly because it's not PR or PC correct. But I do there. I do think there's some of that. Uh, now Virginia Tech needs to settle down. Like settle down. Like if East Carolina doesn't want to play, then you know get over it. You know, <laughs> right. hey, if you want to play a game bad enough, call. Why don't you call Danny White? You know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they won't I, do that. Virginia Virginia, Virginia Tech. Tech won't do that. Yeah, Virginia Tech kind of looks like jerks doing that. To be honest with you, right? Uh, and I agree. I don't. I don't. Appre- I, I thought it was tasteless how they called out East Carolina, and, I, and they took it down. They did a tweet where they kind of mocked East Carolina, and they did a they did a video of Virginia Tech playing in the rain and all that. And that was I thought that was in very poor taste. Yeah. Uh, in that scenario, so I'm again. But I think there are. This is a, that's an example on how everybody's got different agendas in these situations, and I think it's going to get harder and harder. And we saw this. With Hurricane Matthew and the fiasco that turned into with Florida and LSU, and mm-hmm. I think we're seeing more and more of that. That everybody's got different agendas when it comes to this stuff, and I don't. It's going to be harder and harder to reschedule games like that uh, unless it just works out. Can I bring up the Frost thing that you brought up? Because I thought that was idiot. Not you, but well, uh, uh, people that brought up that idea, which was maybe the dumbest idea of. <laughs> I mean, there have been a lot of dumb ideas this week, but that was by far the most idiotic. Stupid idea I've ever heard. Oh, yeah, let's call Nebraska because Scott Frost and let's play <laughs> them because, you know, it, there's so much reason for Nebraska to schedule that game. Right there. They get a well, lot of that. Well, game, I, th- right? I think I think part of it stemmed from the idea that, well, you know, Scott Frost apparently has such fond memories of his time at UCF that maybe he would help us out and do us a solid. How is that helping him a solid like the guys trying to win games at Nebraska? I don't think losing. First of all. And credit, I'm going to give credit. Mike Bianchi wrote a column about this, and he was 100% dead on on this, and I encourage people to read this. Scott Frost. Okay, let's just – all right, I'll meet you. Let's just say for heck for the, for humor. Okay, so if Scott Frost schedules that game, mm-hmm. first of all, where's the game being played? You think he's just going to automatically come here to Orlando for, for, <laughs> for good? Okay, good luck with that. And what, you're going to say UCF's going to come to Nebraska instead? Okay, 
So Frost plays that game. Who knows that UCF roster other than the current staff? Who knows that UCF roster better? Scott Frost, right? Would you well, say his course, staff? Yeah. He, don't you think he cares about those players? Yeah. A lot. And I and I, I'm going to speak this from experience because uh, obviously Coach Gillespie I worked with for 11 years. She left UCF for Iowa, but I've worked with her 11 years. When she got the Iowa job, I joked with her. So are you going to get? Do you want me to get, put in a good word? with the new coach to schedule you in your own tournament here at UCF, bring mm-hmm. Iowa here. And I joked and she laughed, but she said, and this is, and I think this is the same. It, it holds true in football. She said she would not want to play UCF because first of all, she cares about those players. She recruited those players. She knows those players. The last thing she wants to do is play them in an awkward situation. It's awkward. It'll be emotional. You, if you lose to them, well, now you lost to the team that you just left. So that's tough. If you beat them, well, now you beat a team that you cared about, you bunch of people you care about. Yeah. Now you feel like a jerk. And I think it's the same thing with Scott Frost here. If he schedules that game and loses to UCF, now it's like, well, why did you leave UCF? Oh, look at that. And Nebraska <laughs> people are like, why yeah. are we losing to UCF? Nobody wins. Beats, and if he beats UCF, now Scott Frost is the bad guy at UCF. He's the guy that took down UCF. So how is he to gain on that? He's in a no-win situation yeah. there. Nobody wins. Nobody wins on that. Um, just a couple of a, a couple of notes on this. Some of the other games that, that have been moved, postponed, canceled, whatever. I mean, this this storm is wreaking havoc on the college football world. West Virginia, North Carolina State postponed. Marshall at South Carolina canceled. Southern Miss at App State postponed. Ohio at Virginia relocated to Nashville, moved to four thirty p.m. But you mentioned BC and Wake moved to, moved up to five thirty Thursday. Campbell and Coastal Carolina, they actually played Wednesday at 2. Um, I think Coastal Carolina won that game, and it was moved to Campbell Stadium in uh, Bowie Creek. Um, Stetson, by the way, scheduled to play Presbyterian, was moved yep. to DeLand. Um, Colgate and Furman canceled. J- Robert Morris at James Madison moved to Thursday from Saturday. Norfolk State at Liberty postponed until December unless Norfolk State makes the FCS playoffs, which is unlikely, they said. Um, Elon, William and Mary, Charleston Southern Citadel, Tennessee State, Hampton, North Carolina, Central South Carolina, South Carolina State got affected by this. Um, and in addition, there are uh, other games that it, 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 that are sort of being affected by this that are scheduled for, uh, or, or at least um, they're waiting on these kinds of things. Like Old Dominion, which is a D1 now at Charlotte, Saturday, scheduled for Saturday at Charlotte, Western Carolina Garden. It goes on and on. There's just a bunch of games that are being affected by this. All right, so obviously we're going to keep track of things. Uh, when we hear about it, you'll hear about it. Uh, and follow UCF underscore Banneret for uh, information on this. All right, let's bring Murph in here real quick because, Murph, <laughs> you're going to put on the black and white uh, uh, shirt that we got you from, you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Murph, Murph, in honor of Mick Foley's 20-year anniversary of the <laughs> Cell match, Mick Foley was announced this week as the special guest referee at a Hell in the Cell main event between Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman. You get to play the role of Mick Foley, special guest referee here, as me and Jeff are about to right. duke it out of All right, all right, mankind. So so here's <laughs> here's what we'll do. Um, the, the question at hand, Eric Lopez, that you and I are yep. going to debate, is as follows, and and we had kind of had this on Twitter earlier, but here is the debate we're going to answer tonight, once and for all. The question is: Does UCF losing the this game against North Carolina 
losing is in it not being played. Um, does that hurt UCF, help UCF, or not do anything for UCF? Strictly from a, and we're arguing this simply from a football perspective. We're not arguing about you know the morality of playing football in hurricanes. I think that's fairly obvious right. to everybody. Um, I will, uh, I will deliver the opening salvo here, and uh, we will have rebuttals. There is no time clock, so we're not going to do any. Uh, so anyway, here we go. My <laughs> art. Uh, so, so Murph, you you are the referee on this. You get you call the shots. All right, here we go. And by the way, we'll also have. You know what? When I post the podcast, we'll have the fans vote on this on Twitter. So here we go. Oh God! All right. Um, my take on this is yes. This definitely will ha- at least have the potential, if not certainly will hurt UCF from a football perspective later in the year. And the reason is this. I grant you, Eric, that UNC is probably not going to have a very good season. Larry Fedora is on the verge of being fired. They got clobbered by an East Carolina team that had just lost to an FCS team the week before. All right. Um, However, the reason why I do believe that not playing this game hurts UCF is because a it's it first of all it was probably it was likely I think that UCF would have won the game I think they would have had a, at least a fifty percent chance of winning the game in Chapel Hill as it was considering uh, considering where North Carolina is right now now that being said last year we saw the arg- we saw the argument creep up about UCF's strength of schedule. That you know, in all of the arguments about that, you see that they said, "Well, you didn't." Well, some one of the arguments that popped up was, "Well, you didn't play Georgia Tech because of that hurricane, and you ended up playing Austin P." What is that? Never mind the fact that Austin P should have made the FCS playoffs and didn't, and never mind the fact that Georgia Tech I think finished five and six last year. They the perception is because Georgia Tech was an ACC opponent that UCF is going to play on the road that. That by default, UCF's schedule was automatically weaker than it could have been, and that hurt UCF in the in the course of the season leading up to the final weekend. Now, I'm not saying that if UCF had played Georgia Tech and won the game, that they would have gotten into the college football playoff. I actually don't think that would have happened at all, and I don't I don't know anyone who does think that. However, there it's very obvious that in UCF's argument about how good their season was last year, that hurt their argument in the eyes of at least some in the college football world. And I think some of those some of them some of the people who thought that it hurt were are certainly voters in the coaches, AP and in the CFP rankings. Um, so I believe that applies here as well. UCF losing an, a game, or not again, I keep saying losing a game. UCF not playing a game or having a game canceled against an ACC opponent on the road that, like it or not, if you ha- let's say there was this alternate universe where UCF played North Carolina and beat them and probably beat them soundly, a la what East Carolina did. Because of the mere fact that, never mind their records, never mind any of that, because UCF would have played an ACC opponent on the road and beaten them, likely soundly, it would have planted the seed in the minds of national voters who don't pay attention to UCF very carefully that, oh, wow, this team is really good. Look what they did to an ACC team. And if they did it, and if they do it again to Pitt in the following weeks, even better, right? 
So considering the fact that UCF started the season ranked, which they didn't do last year, it took them a while to get into the rankings, a win over North Carolina gets the national people who are, like we said, they don't pay attention to UCF as, as closely as we do or the UCF Twitter Mafia does, for that matter. You see that result come across the ticker and you think, oh, this UCF team really is for real. They walked into Chapel Hill and beat up on North Carolina. That team's good. You don't have that now. Now they can make that argument that, oh, well, you know, it, let's, say UC, let's say UCF does go undefeated this year and wins the conference. They can still say, well, you didn't play that North Carolina game. That was your lone power six game or power five game on the road. And, you know, if UCF goes undefeated, obviously they would have beaten Pitt along the way. Well, you, the one team you did beat was Pitt at home. So they, so they automatically are going to discount that. That is my case for why UCF not playing this game against North Carolina may very well end up hurting UCF in the long run. I see the balance of my time, Mr. Lopez. Well, first of all, you partly made my point by saying you even acknowledge by not the Georgia Tech game did not affect their standings. They weren't going to make the playoff if they beat Georgia Tech. I don't think they were going to move up in the rankings. I think that was already going to happen regardless because here's the deal. If they play that game and they beat Georgia Tech, people would just say, well, Georgia Tech's not any good. So, And that would be the same thing here. North Carolina is actually going to end up being worse than that Georgia Tech team. They're already 0-2. The other problem is North Carolina just got blown out by an East Carolina team that lost to an FCS team in North Carolina a So this game is actually below the radar. Nobody even cares. So they're not a good quality game. Okay, okay but, not but at all. But let me let me let me make this point. Let's say let's say in this alternate universe, UCF walks into Chapel Hill and throws yeah. fifty six points on North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. They stay, That's they stay not the same rank. That doesn't. That wouldn't raise any eyebrows nationally in your opinion no i disagree not i think actually in fact i would make this prediction you know if what would happen if that happened larry fedora would get a pink slip right after the game well we don't know that well what the game's not gonna get played that's why but i think that's what would have happened i actually think that would have been more of the focus of wow look at north carolina how bad it's coming is larry fedora gonna keep his job paul feinbaum was speculating about larry fedora's job after the east carolina game that only would have been intensified if they would have gotten crushed by UCF, which I think they would have. Um, so, no, I don't think North Carolina registers at all. I don't. And by the way, I, here's the difference between the Georgia Tech and the Carolina game. I think what hurt UCF in the, in the Georgia Tech argument, it's not that they didn't play the game. And I think this is what hurt them was the fact that there were Georgia Tech people that were saying that UCF ducked them. Because remember, Georgia Tech offered the game. And UCF declined. And remember, there was follow-up stories about how Georgia Tech offered the game and they could have played the game on Saturday in Atlanta. And so I think some people took that as a way to use that against UCF. I don't agree with that, but I do think – so I think it had more to do with the fact that UCF didn't want to play the game in Atlanta than not actually playing the game. Now, some people might use the excuse of, well, they didn't play a full schedule, I guess. But I don't think that the committee's like, wow, well, they beat Carolina. Let's move them up four spots. Not at all. I think they would have – in fact, UCF just got dropped – or not dropped, but they got passed by Boise State this past week because Boise State crushed Connecticut by a bigger score than UCF did. Um, And guess what? If Boise State beats Oklahoma State, 
It doesn't matter what UCF would have done. Boise State was going to even go further ahead of UCF, and I and I think other teams would jump UCF anyway in the rankings. So no, I don't think this game has it would have helped them at all. I don't think this hurts them at all. I think it's because Carolina's terrible. If North Carolina was good, then yeah, you have a, an actual a, a case. But here's North Carolina's schedule. They're zero and two. They're gonna they're scheduled to play Pittsburgh. We'll see if that works out. That's a toss up game. They go to Miami. They're going to lose that game. That's three losses. They play Virginia Tech. That's a fourth loss. They're going to go to Syracuse. I think they lose that game. That's five losses. I think they'll have an interim coach by this point. They may or may not beat Virginia. That's a toss-up game. Georgia Tech, toss-up game. I think they lose to Duke. Their one guarantee that they can get a win is Western Carolina at the end of the year. This team could go 3-9 and nine very easily with a new interim coach by the end of the season. I, I don't think that would have impress the pollsters or the committee at all if UCF plays that game. I think people will be like, well, they beat a bad team in, in a Power Five. I, I, I don't buy that at all, and I think that's uh, to suggest that by not playing this game, UCF is hurt by it. No, I don't. UCF is – I hate to break this to you. UCF ain't going to make the playoff. Now, and I hate to break this to you too, let's say UCF and Boise State both win their leagues and have the same record. Yeah. Here, okay. Boise here's State, where here's where the rubber meets the road. Right. So uh, let's play this out. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Let, all right. Let, I'll let you pick the scenario. Do you want to go with the scenario where they're both undefeated, or do you want to go with a scenario where they're both at one loss? Let's example? let's go with. Well, we don't we don't know which game either team would lose to. Okay. So well, let's let right. let's let's for the sake of argument say they both go undefeated at the end of the conference championship games. Boise State will get the nod because their win against Oklahoma State, which is a top 25 team at this time, and it is a Big 12 team, will trump any UCF win on the schedule, even if Carolina is on the schedule. It doesn't matter. They would trump it. Not to mention, some might argue right now that the Mountain West is maybe slightly better than the American this year with some of the teams in the league. Who knows? I don't necessarily agree with that, but maybe they're even. The other thing that hurts UCF, and this could be applied to the even if both teams have a loss, you have a coach in the American Conference by the name of Randy Etzo who has now gone on record saying that I think Boise State's a better team than UCF, a little better. He said that. That's Those are the things that are going to hurt UCF more than playing this Carolina game is the fact that you got Randy Etzel saying after the Boise State game that he thinks Boise State is a little better than UCF, and he played both of them. Randy Etzel needs to do a better job of representing the conference, but – Right. Okay, let's so let's okay, so let's concede that and 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 I'm going to throw it to Murph for his judgment here in a second. All other things being equal, I still think that when you have people like Soren Petro who are voting in the in the Associated Press poll who clearly are not paying attention to as much football as they need to be in order to in order to be in order to have yeah. that And he's not going to pay attention on North Carolina vote. game either. It the bottom line is he's not alone in the fact in in not having UCF in not paying as much attention to UCF as he should, and the way you get that attention is by whacking a, an ACC team on the road. And unfortunately, no, UCF be, no, doesn't have wrong. the opportunity. No. no, I'm th- believe me when I tell you that you you know some of these voters. And you know yes, how they I've don't pay them, attention to them all, to, to all the things that they need to pay attention to. And if UCF went up to North Carolina, like I think they would have, and thrown 50 on the Tar Heels, 
at home, regardless of whether or not Larry Fedora gets fired, I think that that would have raised some serious eyebrows. And then it would have been it would have looked even more stupid for somebody to leave UCF off their ballot than it would have otherwise. Now, again, I'm going to tell you they're going to tell you that North Carolina is garbage. That's what the argument that's, is. They played a garbage. It's the same thing. By the way, and I know this because this happened last year. Okay, but if South they're Florida, but if they're gar- but if they're garbage and UCF blows them out, then UCF did exactly what they were supposed to do. Yeah, no, but that's not going to impress anybody. That doesn't impress anybody. Just like when South Florida blew out Illinois last year in Tampa, nobody cared I because dis- Illinois no, was I, terrible. No, by I the disagree way, with that. Guy's a terrible example. No, he no, still voted for Auburn ahead of UCF after the Peach okay, Bowl. But, but I but also I disagree with you also on the USF Illinois. Illinois thing because that game was played in Tampa and this is a road game. Cares? They still blow. By the way, they're going to play Illinois this weekend. They're probably going to kick their ass in Chicago. And guess what? No one's going to care. <laughs> Terrible. All right, all right. So, so Let's go. okay. Murphy, Murphy is ready to throw flags here. So, Murph, I I toss it to you. What is your judgment? Um. So I'm going to ruin. The, okay. So I'm going to ruin the suspense. Like right away, I will declare a winner, and then I will declare the the reasons for why that person is the winner okay my my facetime on a podcast parentheses on a podcast my facetime goes to eric lopez and here's why jeffrey i'm with you at the start of this okay i'm I'm in your i'm in your camp we talked off air that that i believe this is this is not a good thing for ucf but the reasons for why we think this is not a good thing are very different and for you to use the argument that North Carolina is a good win is a bad argument. <laughs> that is a bad I, uh, argument. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not saying that it's a. I'm not saying that it's it's equivalent to like the Auburn game last year. But what no, I'm saying uh, is no. going the up thing, there right? so and kicking the and going up and kicking the tar out of the Tar Heels no, is not said, a bad said, thing for UCF's attention nationally. You said what, what? What will they say if they go if they drop fifty six on them? And and I thought to myself as you were arguing, I said, well, they'll tell them that UCF is fifteen points better than ECU because ECU put forty one on them. Uh, this is a, it's it's not a, it's not a team and a game at noon on Saturday on ESPNU against a team that's zero two got crushed by ECU is not moving the needle. It's it's really not moving the needle that much, even if it's ACC. This team is awful. Uh, I, I I initially agreed because it's bad for UCF to lose a game in terms of uh, the group of five bid. They need as many games as they, as they can. They need wins, period. They're going to lose a win because they're going to lose a game off the schedule. That's that's important. That's why, that's why this is important. It's not important because, well, they could have crushed North Carolina. East Carolina crushed North Carolina. It's, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't really make a statement. The fact they're not playing the game at, at all is, is more damning. Um, so I thought Eric generally had the much better argument. You guys are haters, and UCF Twitter might be on Jeff, my wait, side. Wait, hold on. So wait, let me ask you, why isn't people praising Scotty Montgomery for turning around East Carolina and blowing out North Carolina this week instead of people speculating about Larry Fedora's job? If, Irrelevant. If that's such a, I mean, Irrelevant. it's the same thing. What are you talking about? Like, if by your theory, and, East Carolina should be getting praised for blowing out North Carolina. And Scotty Montgomery should get praised with not at all because Carolina is not very good. Now, now I'll say this: if Roy Williams was the head coach or Sam Dorrance, and we're playing at a soccer field or the basketball arena, absolutely UCF would get a lot of credit for beating North Carolina. But this ain't a soccer match, and this ain't a basketball game. It's a football game. It's uh, Jeffrey. You, Jeffrey, you have a well-intentioned opinion. You just didn't go about it the, the I think the best way. 
Gosh, isn't that isn't, isn't Herb that the, was willing to help? Isn't that the, isn't that the story of my life? Um, this is, so, Murph was willing to help. I felt like Murph had a foreign well, object ready to hand it to you, and you just didn't take it. I feel well, like well, I, well, I, well, I do have a foreign. <laughs> I do have a. I do have a foreign object. Several of them. I have UCF Twitter Mafia on my side. So, um, vote for Oof. who won the argument on our Twitter account UCF underscore Banneret. Um, again, keep <laughs> keep keep it posted. We'll we'll keep you posted on anything that we do here. I I think that there's. Like, to quote you, Eric, uh, and I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on this one, a 0.0% chance that a game does get scheduled for October 27th, nor would I schedule a game there for UCF. Um, it's a bummer that you lose a game, a road game against a winnable road game against an ACC opponent. That um, doesn't matter. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let me ask you this. You just so won't give it up. Is. I got a break to get no, to no, for no, crying no, out I'm loud. <laughs> I, will bring, I will bring two quick points and then we'll let it go. If UCF goes undefeated, and Boise loses to Oklahoma State and has one loss. Do you really think UCF's going to get left out because they, they didn't play North Carolina? No. They're going to get picked for that all-access bowl if they have their undefeated and they win the American Conference and Boise has a loss. They're going to pick the team. They have historically picked the team with a better record, so they would pick UCF in that scenario. So the North Carolina game doesn't hurt them in that regard from a wins column. Now, I will say this. This is, what, this is an interesting point because I talked to some people on the outside about this. Here's where Eric brings in the ringer. Go ahead. (laughs) There is some people that think we'll throw this out and people aren't going to like this statement, but, oh, well, that's going to make it easier for them to go undefeated. That's going to be floated out there, I think, in the coming weeks. Yeah. You know, people are going to get upset about that. So that's where you, if you want to make the argument where this losing this game hurts, that narrative that I think will pick up, well, that makes it easier for them to go which, undefeated. Which, by the way, was what I said was one of the arguments that was trotted out last year. Well, well you didn't play you, Georgia giving, Tech. I'm giving, you know, I'm giving a partial credit from that. If you would have gone straight on that argument, I think you would have had a better shot to Murph's point. But when we when we talked about the chances of this team going undefeated uh, before the season started, and we talked about our best-case, worst-case scenarios, go back and listen to that podcast, I don't know how many of us brought up the North Carolina game. I don't think any of us did because we knew – North Carolina was missing uh, their starting quarterback, one of the really good defensive players. We, we pretty much considered that the biggest threats to UCF schedule uh, are, are Memphis and South Florida, not North Carolina. So I don't know. I mean, it's easier, yes, because they don't have a chance to lose a game. So, yes, uh, not having a chance to lose does make it easier for you to go undefeated. It's amazing how that works. But I, I really don't think this game was seen as a threat to, to, to end their streak. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, you had you, – you have – you have the right intentions, but when you throw in ACC and say that that, and because this team is ACC meaningful, it really, it really doesn't help that ECU just dropped them by twenty three. It really doesn't help your argument. Uh, and I would say also, Randy Edsel needs to remember what conference he he plays in and <laughs> that works for. Is a hundred percent true. Oh, that's a fact. By the way, that's a fact. You could actually Google. We all quote agree on that. UCF. UCF helps you. They put money in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's a more incriminating thing that I would be more concerned about. Yeah. yeah. Randy Edsel should go. Maybe maybe Randy Edsel should go coach North Carolina. Anyway. Um, careful what you Yeah. Careful what you wish for, Chapel Hill. All right. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we return, a uh, special interview coming up. Uh, we're going to talk volleyball. We got Jenny Frank. She's in the Ring of Honor at UCF Volleyball, one of the greatest players uh, in UCF history. Um, even coached at UCF for a time. 
Uh, she's going to come by and talk about uh, UCF Volleyball then and UCF Volleyball now. And we'll catch you up on uh, on the Olympic sports as well. Women's soccer, men's soccer, uh, lots of stories to talk about on that end as well when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. He's a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 football season. Night fans, if you work with Sam as your realtor, he will rebate you up to $750 at closing. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash we sell Orlando. Get in touch with the Unger Real Estate Group today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trace Trolko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. Blackandgoldbanneret.com is your home for UCF sports on the SB Nation blog network. Uh, you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Subscribe to this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn, or Apple Podcasts. I keep saying iTunes. It's Apple Podcasts. You know what we're talking about. Anyway, um, all right. Let's dive into our interview for this week. I was lucky. You know, we were kind of, Eric and I, when we were doing our um, summer sessions over the summer, we, were like, we started reaching out to a bunch of friends of ours from UCF Athletics and uh, one of the people we reached out to is Jenny Frank, uh, formerly of uh, UCF Volleyball, played from 2000 to 2003. She's one of the greatest players in UCF history. She is a uh, she's second all-time UCF in, in assists, and um, she's in the ring of honor at UCF Volleyball. And I'm sad we didn't do this earlier. We really should have. It's just been way long overdue. But Jenny reached back, and, and we were able to do this. And I'm so excited to, um, to talk with Jenny because... You know, I covered UCF volleyball for four years when I was in when I was a student when she was there, and watching her play day in and day out, she was just one of the. She gets my vote as probably as, um, well. I mean, you'll hear it in the interview, but it's uh, it's just so good to talk to Jenny, um, and and she has so offered up some interesting thoughts about you know volleyball today and and UCF today, and um, she still wears uh, she still <laughs> she still wears black and gold uh, on her sleeve. Uh, quite a bit. So um, anyway, here is our interview with 
Number 14 from UCF Volleyball. I always remember is that. Jenny Frank. And joining me now for my money, uh, the greatest setter in UCF Volleyball history. She is second all-time in assists in uh, UCF history with 4,825 in her career. She was a uh, one-time All-American, three-time All-Conference. She won three conference championships, three all-tournament teams. Um, I could go on and on for the next half an hour, but we don't have that kind of time. <laughs> Jenny Frank joins me uh, here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jenny, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm, do- I'm doing so good. I'm so glad to talk to you. We came... You and, okay, so a little history for the listeners. All right, so I came to UCF as a freshman in the fall of 2001. You arrived as UC, at UCF as a freshman in the fall of 2000. So I was there for your last three years, and then one of your years, I believe, as an assistant coach. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, that's right. So, And those were some good years. I, I did uh, radio play-by-play for UCF Volleyball, for those for for those four years that I was there, the three years, the last three years of your career, three conference championships. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think at least two of them were won on the home floor in what was then UCF Arena, what is now the venue. Tell me about like when you look back on your four years. What is your fondest memory of playing volleyball at UCF? Oh gosh, uh, there's a lot. I would have to say my fondest memory would be you get to see everybody in all colors of their life so you get to see them at their best and you get to see them at their worst and I think that further developed your relationships that are long term and to this day uh, that whole team um, from my four years there we all still talk and we're all still in communication we keep up with each other so I would have to say that's probably my best memories to come out of there, which I guess is also an experience. Who, so, so give us some, an example, like who are some of the players that, you know, you played with back in the day that you're still in touch with and that you still get together with these days? Sure. Uh, so Tanya Jarvis, um, and everybody probably has different last names now. Hmm. Um, Lindsay Whalen, Kelly Klinkenberg, Kate Street, um, Shelly Driggers, um, Piper Morgan, those girls were actually older than I was. Yeah. So I played with them for my freshman and sophomore year. Um, Michelle Spoletta, and I could name them all. Yeah. I can, I, I had the good fortune of, you know, having a front row seat for the three conference titles that you guys won under, uh, Meg Collado in 01, 02, and 03. Um, the, Describe for us, like, just how dominant. I know this is kind of, kind of like opening up to bragging, right? But just how dominant UCF volleyball was at that time when you guys were in the A Sun. It was, it was just a lot of fun to watch because we knew we knew that we were in for a great performance every day. Yeah. So um, one thing that Meg was very consistent with um, before every game. Um, when you are one of the top teams in the conference consistently, you always get every team's best performance. Mm-hmm. So something that was always reiterated to us before every match is it doesn't matter what their record is. It doesn't matter who you're playing. You're going to get their best match. 
So that always kept us on our toes um, and mentally prepared for what was to come and knowing that we probably had to give a better performance than we did the week before or prior to. They, you were always in such control of the team. I think that was probably the most fun thing. It's like the setter is the point guard in volleyball. What What is the – as far as – but, I mean, it doesn't take, you know, I mean, I knew almost nothing about volleyball until I began watching you. From a player's perspective, what is, I mean, I, I don't want to say what's the job of the setter, but but when you were out on the floor, what was your objective out there every single time you played? Um, so every position and individual is different. And for us, I feel it's important as a setter to understand each individual's strength, but also their weakness. And I also feel like it's our responsibility to make sure that if we know somebody is having one of their best performances of their career, that we need to make sure we keep it that way. Mm -hmm. And if they're not maybe having their best performance of their career, then we need to figure out how to keep them in the match or make up for them. There were always so many different players that you played with who were, um, who were great in their own right. Um, and you had such a key role in that, um, you know, player, not just from the middles, from, you know, players like, you know, Piper Morgan and, uh, you know, Shelly, you mentioned Shelly Driggers, Shelly Crager, I think, also in your uh, sophomore year, um, but also players, you know, on the outside that got a, that got a lot of work, uh, players like Amanda Stoudsdyke, uh, uh, you mentioned Tanya Jarvis, Leire Sante Asante when she was there, the... Uh, when you look back on some of the players that you played with, the how does how do those teams do you think stack up with say uh, volleyball today? Like if we could put if we could put you guys in like a Madden game, right? And you could play yeah. now now against like then. How do you think it would turn out? Oh gosh, you know we actually have these conversations um, for some of us that are still involved in volleyball. And I will have to say, I think um, I can, I don't want to say anything bad, but <laughs> our team was very competitive. And so at the end of the day, um, it didn't really matter who we were playing. We were always competitive. And I think sometimes the competition and mindset of being competitive gets lost. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that was something that we worked really hard to maintain just throughout each day of practice. Um, so I think that will probably be it, just knowing how competitive we were. If it, it probably doesn't matter, we would probably try to win today, even though we're all slightly washed up. <laughs> they, so now that it, with UCF now, um, you've been to a couple of matches. We ran into each other, I know, at at least one match last year, and uh, I've seen you a couple of times. You're in the you're in the Ring of Honor now, which is so cool to see. Um, the UCF right now has probably, I, I guess, I would say is you know now that I'm again have a front row seat for it. I think the two best setters that they've had since you played in Amber Olson and Erin Olson. Now Erin, obviously the elder sister, uh, she's a junior. Amber just started her freshman season. When you watch them play. Um, what do you see in them that, as a setter, you you're like, okay, I know that the that that they're good at what they do. Um, I, from what I have seen, 
I would have to say they do move the ball around um, and they keep it pretty consistent knowing which hitters to go to and understanding their court savviness and what is happening um, throughout the plays. I think that's one thing that I have appreciated because I think in the past some of that has been lost. And I think that is coming back with um, the two new setters that are there. Yeah. The, now, you, after you graduated, well, tell us, you graduated after the 2003 season, I believe yeah. the spring of 04. And, but then you stayed pretty close to UCF volleyball. So let's, so, so let's go pick it up from there. After you finished playing, um, what did you do after that? Sure. So um, when I was done, I went to Europe, actually, and I played a little bit. I didn't play too long. And I came back, and I wasn't ready to be done with volleyball, so I actually went to Tulane, um, and it was the year of Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. So I had moved there three weeks prior to, and long story short, fast forward, um, the spring of 2006, I believe, um, Meg Colado had called me and said, we have an opening as an assistant back here at UCS, and obviously it was my alma mater, and it was nothing against Tulane. I really loved New Orleans, um, but you always want to make it back to your alma mater. Can't blame Scott Frost. I had to throw that in there. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it was an opportunity, and at the time I was flexible in um, where I was, and so I literally picked up, I think, two weeks later, and I was back for the end of spring of 2006 mm -hmm. um and then was there till 2008 yeah the um it, it was a tough transition there for UCF volleyball for a time how because you go from a, a program that had some amazing success in the A-Sun and let's face it like the the competition really did step up once we got to Conference USA um mm -hmm. it, w describe for us like what the what the real difference is like as you step up in the competition level, how steep was the climb? I would say it was a gradual to start. Um, and then it gets pretty steep after that, just because, um, in differences where there was a higher level of play more mm. consistently than sporadically. And so I know because, at the time of the ASUN, Meg also would schedule higher caliber teams um, that were ranked teams within either the state of Florida or that were close for our tournament so that we were able to still compete against that. So I think the biggest adjustment was having to constantly compete at that type of a level and understanding what the pace of that game was. One of our favorite memories was in 2000, I believe it was December of 2003, was uh, you guys going up to Gainesville, where, where it seemed we went every year, <laughs> and uh, yep. and defeated then Conference USA Cincinnati in the first round yeah. of the NCAA tournament. Take us back to that match and just how incredible a night that was for you personally and for UCF volleyball as a, as a, as a program. Oh my gosh, you're. You're bringing back memories and goosebumps. <laughs> um, so that that year alone, any match that we took to five games, we always won. We were undefeated. If we went to five, we knew we were going to win because we weren't always the biggest team, but we were always the most athletic team. And so we could really outpace um, if we got to the fifth game. 
So at Cincinnati, uh, we get to the fourth game, and we I, I'm trying to remember exactly, but we won the fourth to make it go to the fifth. And really from that point forward, we all, you can feel it. Um, you can see it in everybody, and you just know that at that point, all right, you're in the fifth game. It doesn't matter what, how high the points are going to go. We're going to win it because right now is not the time for us to not mm-hmm. in a five-game match. Um, so it was pretty intense, and I think I would say around, I remember it being 10 to 9 because it was a close one. Um, I'm pretty sure I set Emily Watts. And she got a kill. And then from that point forward, I think we finished up the match. So just knowing that and you have the turn of events and you can feel it, um, it just makes for a pretty crazy night. When you look at the at the sport now, now you coach now. Now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's at OTVA. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't even realize it until until I did even a little bit more research into it. Like just how influential you know, the work that you do at OTVA is with, with helping young setters figure out the game and learn the game and learn from you. What do you, tell me what that's like, you know, when you, when you actually are able to coach young players on the ground level about the, the ins and outs of doing the job that you did so well for UCF as a player. Sure. It's very uh, gratifying. I really enjoy that I get to, um, meet with them and train them more on a personal level where it's not only about setting. We talk about um, characteristics of a setter. We actually talk about characteristics of what an outside should be, a middle should be, and if they don't see those characteristics, how they're supposed to adjust to that. So at the end of the day, it's not always about the skill of setting. I mean, you're a setter. You're supposed to set. Mm-hmm. It's everything that comes with it. And I think one of the awesome things is when I see them go to college and I've watched a couple of them play now in their college matches and all of them have played as freshmen and they're doing awesome. And so I, it's nice that they can always come back to me too. I get text messages or Facebook messages from them every now and then just about life and stuff. So I think it was, it's developing that relationship and knowing that I do have an impact still, even though I'm not coaching them. Right. So with, uh, well, well, we're coming up on the last, tournament weekend and then it's off to conference play for UCF volleyball when are we going to uh, see you see you back around I know we saw you a couple times last year you always make your way around uh when can uh when when will you be back around so we can see you again sure so we actually there's a bunch of alumni coming in November um I believe it's the first week of November and Mm. we're all planning on going to those matches Good. I think that's homecoming weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right for football? And then I think so. Yeah. I'm not quite. Jana Mitchell is the coordinator. So. <laughs> oh, Jane is in charge. Okay. Yes, gotcha. she is. Gotcha. See, there's another name that everyone that, that that like that you remember about all that kind of stuff. It's so it's so much yeah. fun when I see you guys. Like you know, because obviously now I do PA in the arena for UCF volleyball, and I have for the last few years. And I know it's a special weekend when I see. You and people like Chazara and Tanya come. Tanya came by. I actually saw Tanya um, last weekend because I think one of her former players was playing for one of the teams that was in the tournament with UCF this weekend. So she was down, and and we were talking. We were talking about you too. So um, I know, oh, it's, gosh. A, <laughs> I know it's, it's always good <laughs> things, Jenny. You know that. But we, but yeah, we. It's always good to. It's always good to see you guys come around, and uh, and I and I don't think people fully appreciate the great tradition that UCF volleyball 
has not just going back to 1978 and 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 the national championship, but also the 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 run that you put together. And I think one of, and and one of the teams before you, you know, there were two three piece back there. So, um, and you and one of them belongs to you. You got the three championship rings to show for it. So, um, it's always good to yeah. catch up with you, and uh, and it's fun. Now, let me ask you real quick before I let you go. Um, UCF has uh, is a very young team this year, one senior. Um, six freshmen. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know how how tough that is. You know, from a playing perspective, from a yeah. coaching perspective. What do you think about the team this year? What do you think that they can do in the American this year? Um. Well, from what I've seen so far, I think they'll do very well. Um. Y- when you have young teams in any sports, you know, you prepare yourself for young heirs, and then all you can do is coach up from that point forward but i do think they'll finish my predictions at least in the top two wow okay so that's right i'm just going for it yeah see i the good thing is i can always count on you to wear your black and gold where it really counts that's right that's right always always and forever jenny frank uh for ucf volleyball alumna one of the greatest players in program history she's in the ring of honor it's always good to catch up with you again jenny thanks for uh taking the time yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, thanks so much to Jenny for uh, for ha- for coming on the podcast. It's always great to talk to her. Um, looking forward to that alumni weekend coming up for UCF volleyball. That'll be in uh, November. So you'll always see a lot of good friends, and she's always come down for all that uh, at least once. And I'll see her at a few volleyball matches every every year. So um, and she's always she was so, she was so kind when she was a student. Um, you know, with us when we were doing radio, as we were, you know, I mean. Some of us hardly knew anything about volleyball, and we learned about how to play volleyball, about what good volleyball looks like by watching Jenny Frank play. And, um, and it was always good to talk to her. All right, along those lines, let's catch you up on what else is going on with, um, with UCF sports. We'll come back to volleyball in a second, but we wanted to touch upon soccer because some crazy stuff happened in this weekend uh, in uh, women's soccer, Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy. Um, UCF women's soccer scheduled to, I, well, their home opener got wiped uh, earlier this year in, in what was their first game of the year back in mid-August against Florida Gulf Coast. So their actual home opener turned out to be uh, this past Sunday against Florida. Florida's having a bad year. They actually haven't scored a goal since August 19th as a team, if you can believe that. Here we are in mid-September. Um, but it's still Florida. So they come in. Sunday, and UCF puts a hurting on them in the first half, in the first 45 minutes, drops three goals on them. Uh, one of them by uh, Sam Chung, who actually transferred to UCF from Florida. Then, by the way, in front of a really good crowd, you can see the crowd out there on Twitter, uh, UCF underscore W soccer. Great crowd to see UCF take on Florida. Then the thunderstorms come. The game was started at 6 p.m. Sunday, September the 9th. The thunderstorm comes. UF says, yeah, we're not going to finish this game. We're hopping on a bus and heading back to Gainesville. So you well, that game got delayed. They didn't start it at 6. They got delayed, I right. thought, about a, a little while, it, an hour or two hours. It did actually, get de- Yeah, it did get delayed. Then they went back in the locker room for halftime. Then the rains came. They were like, delay, delay, delay again. And then they decide to stop the game. And UF decides to go home. Now, here's where the trick happens that for some reason, you know, that apparently warps time and space. NCAA rules, Eric Lopez, state, as you accurately depicted, 
that if a soccer match does not reach the 70-minute mark and is halted by some sort of act of God, that the match never happened. It is not considered official. Uh, If you pick up the match at a later date, you actually cannot. You have to start the match over. So it turns out that having only played 45 minutes, that's exactly what happened. Um, It was immediately announced that UF would come back down 1 p.m. Monday to play the game, but it would have to start over from 0-0 at 0 minutes. You couldn't pick it up. Second half, UCF up 3-0. So those three goals get wiped off the board. So what does UCF do? They end up winning 3-0 anyway on Monday, (laughs) on Monday afternoon. Um, goals from uh, Steph, uh, or, or Stephanie Sanders uh, scored a goal. Zandy Soray uh, scored two for UCF. But as it turns out, UCF, in the span of 18 hours, played 135 minutes of soccer against the University of Florida and defeated them 6 to nothing. but only half of those goals counted, which was one of the most bizarre things I think I've ever seen, Eric. Yeah, I mean, let's start with the rule because a lot of people are like, oh, there's kind of trying to figure out a conspiracy. And I could tell you, no, it's not. It's it's a fact. You have to play 70 right. minutes. and Everybody after a needs to time, take the tinfoil hat off on that one. <laughs> right. I mean, could, I, you know, and I wasn't there, but I mean, obviously they waited a certain time. And, and, and I, having gone through this with softball, I mean, these coaches get updates on the weather from the facilities people. They have radars and things like that. I wouldn't be surprised if they were told, look, this is not going to clear up. And I remember that because I lost my cable service during that storm mm-hmm. on Sunday night uh, where I lost X amount of channels. Um, so I'm sure they were thinking when I saw online that they were they wasn't going to clear up until maybe 11, 1130 at night. And the problem is, by the rule, yeah, they, they the game is washed out. It's, I mean, it's no different in other sports. We saw this earlier this year in Major League Baseball where the Boston Red Sox jumped all over Baltimore. Uh, but they only got two or three innings in, and Alex Cora was upset because he's they didn't, you know it's like why did we start this game if we knew we weren't going to be able to get this game in? Uh, because they got to go five innings to make it official, otherwise the stats are wiped out and all that. Um, you know, six years ago as a softball broadcaster, I, we went up to Jacksonville. Uh, we played and we had a big lead going into the bottom uh, bottom of the we going to the top of the fifth. I think it was the top of the fifth, um, and I'm you know once. Then the rain came. Jacksonville very magically didn't uh, couldn't find the tarp. Uh, so, <laughs> really? so, you know, they couldn't find a tarp, uh, you know, <clears throat> what did they do? So, Forget it somewhere. I guess you do. <laughs> you, you know, it's hard. You know, it's a hard thing to find, I guess. Um, so needless to say, it kept raining and raining. And the field became unplayable. So magically uh, we couldn't resume. And because we didn't play five innings, which is the rule in college softball is you have to get five innings unless it's four and a half innings. If the home team is ahead, otherwise it's five innings. You got to get in. Well, because UCF only had gotten through four and a half innings and Jacksonville was the home team, that game didn't count. It was wiped out. Needless to say, we didn't make up the game. Needless to say, we didn't play him for a few years because we felt that there could have been a tarp that could have been found. But uh, be that as it may, it's the same thing in soccer. It's uh, 70 minutes. Don't ask me why it's 70 minutes. Why isn't it 60? Why isn't it 50? I don't know because I've had this conversation with Murph. Baseball, for example, you only have to get five innings in right. to be eligible for a game. And Murph and I have, and you, Jeff, have sat through rain, uh, delays, even though it's not raining. And we're like looking at it like, why aren't we just starting to play? And the reason is, 
you don't want to start a game that you don't think you can finish mm-hmm. uh, or get the majority of the game in. And so that was unfortunate. Credit to Coach Sahadek, I think, on this, agreeing to play that Monday morning, getting them to play Monday, because I think she knew if she doesn't play that game on Monday, she's not going to be able to re- to do the Florida game all over again down the road because it's in college soccer. It's harder to reschedule a game because of conference schedules and et cetera. And I think also she realized I've got a psychological edge here, believe it or not, because I know I think the perception was on social media because this kind of blew up on social media. Um, and a lot of people were concerned that, oh, wow, now they got to beat Florida again. And that's the negative. The positive is, and you brought this up, is I think Coach Sahadek's like, fine, we'll play you Monday. Because I think she knew, based on how that first half went, that I think she felt, A, you got the better team. B, I've got a psychological edge on this team because we just whipped them through 45 minutes. And if you can get a good start on Monday, then it'll be the same story. And it was. Yeah. I think that the other thing that um, th- that I thought was an interesting point about the, the game was uh, – I think that the reason why all the tinfoil hat people were out about this was because, you know, if you instantly say, well, we're going to pick up the game tomorrow at 1 p.m., like within basically 18 hours, it's like, well, it's not like you're, and I was telling Murph this off the air, it's not like you're, you know, UNLV or Washington State and you've got a plane to catch across the country, you know. You're Florida. You can. Why don't you just pick up the game at 45 minutes? You know, this doesn't make any sense. But like you said, doesn't matter. It's the rules are the rules, and that's how it is. Murph, have you ever seen you? I mean, you followed baseball. You ever seen anything like this before, where a team had like a massive advantage, but a game wasn't official, and then the whole thing got wiped, and then the result came out differently? Where they when they come back and play the game again, and then the different result. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't think off the top of my head. I mean, Eric brought up the game with the Red Sox and the Orioles. Pretty sure that the Red Sox though ended up winning that actual game when they played it the next day. Um, but no, I mean, you know, no, I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. I just think it is odd, and you guys have already said this, that, you know, while other sports say you got to go halfway, soccer says you got to go 70 of 90. And that just seems like a really, uh, really kind of weird, arbitrary endpoint yeah. for an official game. Yeah, I, I, it would make more sense if it was 60. I think I, it, yeah. but it's... I don't. I don't know. It's it's one of the weirdest things ever. You know where I remember the rule with baseball was um, was was the Cal Ripken game. You remember that? Yeah. When he, yeah. when he when he finally passed Lou Gehrig, they had the whole ceremony after the game became quote official, which I think the Orioles were leading at that time, which meant it was against the Cal the then California Angels, which. Thanks to a thanks to a Cal Ripken home run, they thanks were leading. to a home run. That's right, and they, and so they did it. I think in the middle of the fifth. Yes, they did. Yeah, so that so that's where I remember that from from baseball. But anyway, um, no RPI is out. UCF uh, probably won't get helped in the coaches' rankings. They're not even receiving votes in the coaches' rankings, which is which is surprising to me. I, 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 I mean, it's one thing if you're ranked or not ranked, but I'm surprised the Knights aren't even receiving votes after. Um, after. And they actually played North Carolina on the field. Yeah, <laughs> and oh, they right. actually yeah. did. Carolina. That's right, and, uh, and took them to OT, too, I think, if I'm not mistaken, right? So um, anyway, we'll be catching up on that. UCF uh, women's soccer, by the way, they are still home. Uh, Thursday the 13th, 7 p.m. against George Mason. 
Uh, and they also play at Stetson in DeLand on Sunday, the 16th, at 7 p.m. And that's the first of, let's see, one, two, three, three on the road. Uh, they don't come back home again until October the 4th against uh, East Carolina. So they start the conference schedule with a weekend on the road at Temple and at UConn. Good thing they're getting that out of the way before the bad weather hits uh, in the northeastern part of the schedule. Men's soccer. This team is on a freaking roll right now. Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy. Men's the hottest team in all of UCF right now, aside from football, who's won 15 in a row. I would argue it's men's soccer because they have won 11 of their last 15. They are 11-2-2 going back to their home opener last year against Stetson. Uh, This past week, they, uh, well, we we talked about it before. They defeated West Virginia 1-0 on Friday um, and then went down to FIU. This is Coach Calabrese's old stomping grounds down in Miami and threw three goals on FIU, two of them from Cal Jennings, who just continues to impress. And UCF men's soccer right now in the um, United Soccer Coaches rankings, they're not in the top 25, but they are receiving votes. And what I think is actually most impressive is not just how hot they've been since the middle of last year, but this team is offensively, a fireworks show. They are number one in the country in shots on goal. Number one in the country. Uh, they, th- There's no shot this team has ever met that it didn't like. And that makes for an exciting brand of soccer. I didn't know that we had to add to that. I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. They're very trying to well, explosive, you know. Well, I well, I mean, I think back to our interview that we had with Coach Calabrese at the beginning of the year when we asked him, like, you know, hey, you had Cal Jennings who really stepped up last year, and he's like, well, it's got to be, you know, a little bit more of a team effort. And, 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 you know, in order to pick up, you know, what we lost last year uh, from a scoring load. And I'm like, well, <laughs> so far, so good, Coach. I mean, <laughs> this team is um, is scoring goals all over the place. And uh, it, just it's impressive to see the pressure that they're putting on the net. I was watching some of the game, and they are just full throttle all the time. And, man, they can pass. Man, they can pass. They play an exciting brand of soccer. Uh, they are at DeLand themselves on Saturday, September 15th at 7. Uh, and then they start the conference season also at Temple Friday, 21st uh, at 7 p.m. They come home for SMU. Boy, that game is looking big. 7, uh, 7 p.m. on Friday, September 28th. That's their next um, home game. I'm looking through the top 25. Where is SMU? They were up there. Kind of remind, it, it reminds me a little bit of what we saw with football in Frost's second year, right? How quick? I mean, kind of. Yeah. They're buying in the Calabrese system even quicker, maybe than maybe some would have thought. I mean, we had him on. He mentioned that he, you know, to some extent, they maybe were ahead of schedule based on last year. But you're right; they seem to be clicking on their offensive philosophy, and. Uh, that's exciting, and, and they were picked in the preseason to win the American, and you're right, mm-hmm. that SMU match will tell a lot. Yeah, SMU, by the way, they, they were earlier in, this year in the top 25. They dropped out of the top 25. They're not in the top 25 anymore, which is a, which is a bummer because they've been a pretty good um, team in the American for quite some time. Uh, volleyball. The uh, Knights swept their home opening weekend, uh, defeating FIU in three, Illinois-Chicago in four, and then Wofford in three at the UCF Challenge. It was 
pretty workmanlike uh, situation for UCF. Uh, McKenna Melville was outstanding once again. She was the most outstanding player of the UCF Challenge. UCF had a couple more players uh, take home uh, conference honors, or, or excuse me, tournament honors again. They have one more conference, uh, or not, I keep saying conference, it's not conference, non-conference tournament. Uh, this Friday and Saturday, they play Alabama State uh, at 11 a.m. Friday, Florida Gulf Coast 8 p.m. Friday, and Yale Saturday at 1 Um I was at for I was at all three matches, um, and uh, and Coach Dasney was pretty um, was pretty forthright about you know okay you just come off that weekend where yeah they lost two out of three, uh, but they did get that win against Southern Cal potential for a letdown but the team was able to um, take care of business as they should have against opponents that actually will compete uh, in their conference. Here's Coach Dagenet, uh talking about the uh, weekend at the UCF Challenge. You know, looking back, I think the biggest thing for us is that um, we've our third match of a tournament has always been our most stale match, and I thought uh, I thought this was our best match of the weekend by far. So to to come in and have the third match be our best match, that's another step of growth that I keep talking about just a little bit every time here and there. So we want to play teams that are going to win 20 matches, and you know these teams all have the possibility of being able to do that. I, I think we played three really different styles. Um, I think we brought, they, if you look at their rosters, and they're all juniors and seniors, they're experienced teams, and you always do worry about a letdown. You know, it, it, We didn't have the best week of practice, and I was concerned that maybe we were kind of hitting a little bit of a wall, but I thought we picked it up. Um, not so much in the first match. You know, It took us a while, and then we pulled away. Second match, I thought we were okay, and then we had one flat set, but today I thought we were outstanding. In terms of the development of the team, we like really started clicking well, and like we had to win ugly at times, but you know we worked through those moments and really stayed together as a team and as a unit and kept pushing through. Uh, yeah, we've gotten a lot better at our blocking, covering those seams, and covering our setter, making sure she can take the second ball. Um, we're really working on the little things, working and reaching those gaps and stuff, trying to take away more court from the hitters on the other side, so make it easier for our defense. So we're just getting better one step at a time. All right, so that was Coach Dagenet uh, and also Amber Olson uh, 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 giving us a little bit of insight, uh, and Narissa Moravik as well for UCF. So uh, once again, Volley Knights Invitational coming up Friday with a pair of matches, including an in-state foe in Florida Gulf Coast at 8 p.m. on Friday night, uh, and Yale at 1. Yale should be very competitive in the Ivy League, and Alabama State, too. Uh, in their conference as well at 11 a.m. Friday. So, And then it's conference playtime Friday, September 21st at USF, 7 p.m. That's when UCF Volleyball starts the conference slate, Friday, September the 21st. All right, let's uh, finish. I mean, I was going to say, what are we going to do this weekend? But, like, I mean, no North Carolina game. So, like, what are we going to do? <laughs> like, I mean, obviously, I'm working volleyball. But, um, yeah, I, I, what do you guys have on tap? Because, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Mur- yeah, Murph, what are you going to do? You were planning to but you were supposed to be in Yeah, Chapel, Murph was going to go. Not only that, um, uh, <laughs> uh, Derek was going to go up to Chapel Hill to take photographs. Oh, wow. Which was a bummer. I feel like Murph's gonna be. I feel like Murph's just gonna be living this week through Jim Cantori <laughs> and kind of what if, yeah. right? And my, Mike Seidel, my 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 my, my people, they're my peeps. <laughs> yeah, throw the I Weather mean, Channel on the uh, the the constant feed. You know, Weather Channel ratings are going up this weekend, boy. I'll tell you that. 
Just yeah. of, one, of a one single Nielsen box. Just through that's the right. roof. Hey, wow. that's, that's it. yeah. I mean, it happens. It's it, it, the the ratings bump is real. Um, but yeah, but we, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I will mention this that I've got uh, working on that I will be posting because I want your. Since we've been talking volleyball, mm-hmm. I've got an exclusive interview in my uh, next feature. There, seven points with Abby Fleener. Abby yeah. Fleener, former volleyball player, played two years. You could tell the story. Transfer from DePaul. It was part of the UCF 2014 American Conference Championship team. They got back to the NCAA tournament for the first time in a while. I got a chance to ch- catch up with Abby Fleener and what she's up to now, which includes now Jeff and Brett Murph. She's now into modeling. Into modeling. She's going to talk about that. In fact, she's right now in the mix trying to be the cover girl for a future Maxim uh, 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 issue. Yeah, so I will have that up there real soon this week. Uh, so very interesting to hear her thoughts. I asked her about playing, why she came to UCF. So uh, very interesting. Good, good. To, it was good to catch up with her there uh, in that regard. And uh, so I'm working on that. And then uh, possibly I might be having a softball story up there. UCF will be playing in the Puerto Vallarta tournament. That was announced by the tournament uh, this past week or last week, actually, in Mexico. And among the opponents, UCF will play there, Washington boys uh nice so there'll be a little reunion yeah. there with sydney ball and uh, heather tar and the washington staff and of course jen sally was the volunteer coach at ucf and uh victoria haywood's the director of office they both played at washington so that's one of the headlines i also write about uh possibly at some point this week and uh hopefully i may I, i'm hoping to sneak in a elo lines edition there i've got some family stuff i got to take care of but hope to sneak that in uh, no can't make a promise because hey you know what you know uh, maybe i'll get uh postponed to well, uh, to a Florence well, also half the games in the country have been wiped out by this hurricane like we yeah talked that makes about it earlier, harder so. to do a column. yeah that makes it harder to do a column on that so we'll, we'll I'll be trying to figure something out on that but nonetheless the Fleener thing is definitely happening and that's worth in itself uh in fact you could vote for her now she actually if you go you could vote for her uh as they're doing the tournaments to see who's gonna host uh, who's gonna be a cover girl for uh maxim but we'll get into that in the uh, seven point cool um I will be working. Can I just, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm going to be working on um, one of the things I'm going to be working on actually along those lines is a viewing guide for this week with UCF not playing. Um, what are some of the what's going on around the American? What are some of the things that we're going to be paying attention to? Also, outside of the schedule as well, because now we're going to have to pay attention to Boise State as well going forward. Go ahead, Brian. I just say, I, you know, Eric, I understand if you can't get the Elo Lines article up, but. I need my fix. I need some action. I need. <laughs> I didn't I need say it was. You know, I, I, I didn't say it was. I just may not be a full plate. You know, you may okay. have to. Uh, you know, it's it, you know, it, it, a little, something. A little. Uh, a little. Uh, might might not be a full full entree. It might be heavy appetizers. Daddy needs a new pair of everything. Here we go. <laughs> Put by the way. Down. By, by the way, one of my picks already ended up on bad beats on Scott Van Pelt. I had FAU. <laughs> oh, that was had, brilliant, by the way. I had FAU covering yep. Air Force. Uh, and uh, if, for people that didn't see it, you could probably follow it. They, they had a chance to kind of kill the clock, and yeah. Lane Kiffin, for whatever reason, was still throwing the football. And uh, <laughs> Air Force scored late, so I'd be at a backdoor cover on that. So mm. of, course, uh, of course Lane Kiffin was, was still throwing beat, the football. <sighs> yeah, but I did hit. I did hit South Florida and Navy. Both were underdogs. I nailed both picks and went outright. So. Yeah. Stone cold lead pipe locks, baby. Right there. Right. Um, uh, uh, yeah. So that's 
Uh, by the way, I wanted to also extend a um, a, hu- a, a huge welcome to Zach Goodall. Uh, Zach, if you're a, a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, um, longtime uh, writer for uh, Locked On Jaguars, uh, and he has joined us here at Black and Gold Banner. He got his first column up this week um, and uh, as a film breakdown of Mackenzie Milton and his escapability. So make sure you check that out. On black and gold banner at dot com. One of you, Jeremy Brenner, by the way, he was also planning on heading up to Chapel Hill. He can't. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But um, you know, I wanted to extend you know tremendous thanks to all the guys um, that have joined us here since we made the move to SP Nation and all the support from uh, UC, from UCF and UCF related people who have come on board since then. So I mean, especially Jeremy. You know, we had Luke Saris on our podcast earlier. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, Zach and uh, Chris Carter, UCF Knights Nation, who provides uh, incredible insight for us uh, as well. And our crew is going to keep on growing. we got a lot of stuff that we're actually uh, it, obviously I talked about. Ch- we've, we've talked before many times about Chad Short, who provided us some insight on uh, on Twitter on some of the um, work that UCF has been doing, uh, you know, in terms of like force majeure clauses and all that having to do with the North Carolina um, situation and uh, and I'll tell you it's really been something else to see everyone kind of come on board and um, and the support of the folks uh, at SB Nation has been um, remarkable. So I wanted to thank everybody for um, their help and their um, and their good sportsmanship throughout this entire time. So uh, it's been a blast. So all right, so that will do it for us uh, here on this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. You can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com your SB Nation home for UCF Athletics. Follow us at UCF underscore Bannerette. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow Eric Lopez at... Eric lopez And follow Brian Murphy at... Spokes underscore Murphy. And follow uh, us on Facebook at facebook.com slash black and gold Bannerette. And subscribe to this podcast if you don't already. And if you don't, I don't know what the hell's the matter with you. On Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and tune in. Thanks again, boys. All right, boys. So, have a fun. So long, Jeffrey. <laughs> As the Yankees are getting no hit right now by the Minnesota Twins on a Wednesday night. Thanks again to uh, Brian and Eric. We're going to go back to Brian and I are going to go back to crying in our in our in our into our hands about the Yankee season right now. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, Brian Murphy, Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thanks for listening. And all of you UCF fans and all your family and friends who are in the path of Hurricane Florence, just know that we're thinking about you. Um, Stay safe, batten down the hatches, uh, and uh, we're wishing you all the best as you get through this storm in the southeastern United States. Um, We're all thinking about you and uh, and you and yours. So uh, everyone be safe up there uh, across the nation uh, in UCF land and, of course, of all of our friends with other schools up there in the southeast. uh, And we will keep you posted on the status as the week goes on. For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you next week.